Jyoti. And I'm Alina. And we are Bitches Brew. Welcome to episode 4 of season 2. Episode 4, we're so happy to have you here. Uh, it's been a struggle to get to this point of recording, we have to admit. It has, it has. Life uh, has been throwing us a lot of lemons lately. And as you all know, podcasts are a lot of work, a lot of production. You have to get a lot of things together. So we haven't exactly been prolific this season. So we're still committed to putting like great content out there. But yeah, things have been hectic. Yeah, I think I think part of the reason why we've tried to take it a bit slow with this season has also been like the intentionality behind the topics. You know, we really wanted to like hone in on exactly what we wanted to talk about. And because we were hoping to, and we have actually reduced the number of minutes as well for the particular episode, we really wanted to make sure that, you know, you guys get the bang for your buck every episode. So I think intentionality has been a pretty recurring theme for both of us as just, I don't know, podcast creators. Um, and, and it, exactly what Aditi said as well, like it's been pretty hectic ever since things opened up. Thankfully, we're all vaccinated. Yay. Um, but yeah, so things didn't open up with a big ferocity. And then for a moment, you're just like, maybe I should just live in the real world for a little bit, but we're really happy we're back here and it feels great to be talking to you guys again. For this episode, we wanted to talk a little bit about self-censorship. Aditi and I were just chatting about censorship since that has become such a big part of our lives. And it has been for several years now, whether it's in our media, TV, films, you know, we're both scriptwriters as well. So that's something we struggle with. I mean, the other day, a director I know told me that she's making a series set in a school and about young girls and they had to beep out the word period. So... The, the fact that we live in this country and we all know this country knows the extent to which we have to censor ourselves. Um, and then our conversation led us to the idea of self-censorship, which I think plays out on a psychological level and then can have a ripple effect socially, politically. I think social media is a really big example of that. For today's episode, we want to dive into some facets of what self-censorship can look like and potentially what we can do to kind of climb out of that rut. One of the interesting things about self-censorship is that it shows up on different levels and an interpersonal level, a group level, and even how you vote, even how you perceive things. It's a constant battle with yourself and the larger society around you and it can be highly detrimental and quite dangerous and can be used quite dangerously like I was reading recently about this uh, case study about the Japanese occupation of a town uh, in China and they were doing research into what leads to such intense violence and they were examining groupthink and one of the most telling symptoms of groupthink is self-censorship where a member of the group feels like they can't speak up or stand up to the group at large and therefore will participate in something they don't necessarily want to. And I think of late, we've seen a lot of examples of this in India. You know, I mean, we keep seeing stuff like that. There's all these MMSs and messages and this and that going, doing the rounds, you know, Dalit man getting beaten to death, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Developing from what Aditi said, while I was doing my research, um, I thought of Newspeak, 
from Orwell's 1984, wherein that's kind of the language they use that meets the ideological requirements of English socialism. And I think the defining characteristics of the language are simplified grammar and restricted vocabulary designed to limit the individual's ability to think and articulate like quote-unquote subversive concepts such as self-expression or free will or personal identity and it was considered a thought crime since they kind of contradicted the prevailing government right um and if you look at the kind of sloganeering that the current ruling party engages in or even trump for that matter in america the kind of language and syntax they use to connect with their voters and people is actually quite well a it's simplistic and b it's kind of a non statement you know it's kind of irrefutable like if someone says what does that make america great again it's irrefutable it doesn't really mean anything it doesn't really imply anything but it also just doesn't make any sense so it's like it doesn't matter if you're conservative or a dem or liberal or whatever republican you're going to agree with that right like who can deny that so it's it's these kind of sort of languages and the manipulation of language and saying it in a manner of the lowest common denominator i remember watching some kind of a documentary that talked about how the way trump talks like a 10 year old boy can understand everything he's saying because there's so much rhetoric in it and i mean i don't want to take names but we all know another political party that does exactly that and if you look at some of the andolans that have been raised in the last 6 years or 7 years we'll see these this kind of it it's it's actually there's a word for it uh it, it what's it? it's it's a mental framework this kind of communicating with people that is extremely rhetorical it doesn't really say much but it still grabs your attention and i think another big thing that i would say the party in charge right now can be quite culpable and also i think in the past it has happened of is a really interesting concept called the overton window which is a kind of the window of a range of policies politically which is acceptable to the mainstream population at a given time so another word for this can be like a window of discourse um and it kind of talks about how an idea's political viability depends mainly on whether it falls in this range rather than on the politician's individual preferences so it kind of talks about all the issues a politician can recommend without appearing too extreme to gain or keep public office given the climate of public opinion at that time so it's quite really insidious right it's not really about real issues it's it's kind of just about what's trending and whether it's somebody that's extremely left or extremely right or even center will stick to this like window of discourse which for example in the last 6 years and with with all um, for a reason for the right reasons one of the biggest discourses has been communal violence or interfaith violence but if you look at political parties on either side of the spectrum they will manipulate a, the conversation around this to kind of benefit their own agenda they take the same thing and their conversation will get manipulated it's not really about who's right and who's wrong i think it's about just taking a step back and understanding that it's still a construct of dialogue that we're operating in at the end of the day which is obviously being influenced and cemented by 
popular media and news channels and so on and so forth. It's interesting because this whole idea of this, you know, this constructed dialogue, this larger dialogue that you have to sort of, it's almost like following a script and you see that on social media all the time from what you post to what you like to even who you follow. You know, I found myself often fearful of what I might share in my stories because I think right now we're constantly operating from a place of fear. You know, we're constantly operating from that fear of being cancelled or being attacked by someone because they might disagree with you. Opinions have never mattered more, you know, and I don't think people have censored themselves as much as they do right now, which is quite ironic because we live in a more connected and open time in a lot of ways. But I feel like the political extremes, especially in the past decade, have gone back to a time when things were quite quite scary, you know, and it feels like we're approaching that now. So I think it's a very pertinent time to sort of examine self-censorship. Um, on a more personal level, I feel like I do, as a woman, I do this all the time like in my workspace, even with friends or men, I'm constantly censuring myself. And I know that a lot of it comes from a place of not wanting to offend someone, which is completely valid. But a lot of it also comes from wanting to fit into this larger group, you know, of acceptability, this notion of acceptability. As a woman, I'm not allowed to have certain types of opinion or air them in a certain way. And while, you know, on the surface, there's this whole strong feminist notion of, you know, being equal and being able to say whatever you want and free speech, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there is in the background this constant censorship that's going on. And a lot of it is defined by what we've seen in the women before us, you know, and it's very difficult to break out of because it's almost unconscious. Like you, you're not aware of the fact that you're constantly doing it. So many of us have this very intense imposter syndrome. And so a lot of the times we're just trying to validate our existence in that space, our right to be there. And therefore, we're constantly filtering what we're allowed to say. And it's self-censorship is not... I mean, I'm not equating it with the general filtering that people go through. I'm talking about a deliberate analysis of who you are as a person and a dampening of who you are as a person in order to fit into a certain space. And I do think women and minorities especially have a hard time with this and have to do it more actively. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I completely agree with that because it actually reminds me of being younger and constantly like minimizing myself to make others feel better. Um, I would definitely say that's changed now and I'm quite open with my opinions. Like if I don't like someone and I have my reasons for it, I'll state it, you know, if, if asked, I will be like, yeah, I don't like that person and I don't really need to justify the, or even express my reason for it unless someone asks me. Even then it's entirely my prerogative, but I would not never have done that like three years ago. Um, I would never sort of, not that I'm going out of my way to be rude to anybody to their face, but I think that there's now there's a clearer understanding and a slightly less uh, need for constant validation from absolute strangers, frankly. And I can, you know, we all see this play out in very specific scenarios, especially at work or with a person in authority, or if you're interested in someone, it's like early stages of dating, like you want that kind of approval. 
and or or something called kind of a social desirability bias so it's like you don't really want to reveal like your true self to an extent or at least the parts of your psyche which aren't so rainbows and sunshine or the stuff that you might consider societally taboo i do think that's changing now you know with the pandemic i think people i feel like people are more honest about what they want and like and obviously living a very authentic and honest life doesn't really interact too well with capitalism we all know that i mean if you have half a conscience that is you can also kind of see this play out politically right because it's funny because it's kind of worked in reverse like i would say before a couple of years ago people wouldn't be so verbally opposed to minorities and sort of you know still just discuss this in their bedroom and not in public but now it's 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 like a being worn as a badge of honor because it's the more so socially acceptable thing to do right like it's become more socially acceptable so there is i feel like it's a constant kind of nebulous evolving conversation and a lot of it is dependent on just who owns the media you know is it a monopoly sort of the subjective selection of people in the government or even the preferences of an intended audience so in this case majority of the country i would say and i think social media has only made this worse as we all know because it can be quite the echo chamber and even within that echo chamber there isn't really much space for nuance or contradictions because of cancel culture so it's really is a really like strange time for public discourse where it's like self censorship is coinciding with like half baked and half formed opinions to some degree you know and it really makes you think like what does freedom of speech really mean um especially with political correctness etc there's this constant discourse around what's allowed and what's not allowed and i think the film industry in particular is suffering because i think now more than ever political parties have a say in the kind of media that's out there in a very obvious way and so now you see a lot of self censorship on the creative side you know right at the start at the script level itself you're constantly thinking about okay what can get me in trouble what can get you know what can someone use to throw me in jail and now you have a law like UAPA which is so arbitrary so random that anything anything can be deemed sedition or seditious you know a joke for example then that got me thinking about this whole veer das thing and how I mean that really started a whole new conversation on censorship right because uh, I think there was a case against him there was also this parallel conversation about the things that Vidas failed to mention and one of them was caste and then that started a whole conversation about the fact that you know upper caste woke mm, media personalities often talk about how you know india has this major rape culture and this and that and, you know say things about the government but they will never ever mention caste because you don't want to confront your hypocrisy you know even at that level no matter how woke you are and so it's an interesting conversation right this whole idea of like what you can and cannot censor for yourself and you're constantly being pulled up for it and it's a good thing that you're constantly pulled up for it i think it's important that we acknowledge these things 
I also wanted to talk a little bit about like how it plays out psychologically um in a more personal sense and I think a lot of it has to do with things like thought suppression and OCD behavior which I think I've definitely struggled with at some point I don't know if it was clinically diagnosed but um it was bad enough for it to lead to generalized anxiety and then depression but weirdly enough arriving at the point of depression was good for me because it meant i wasn't fighting those feelings and emotions anymore but yeah so i think thought suppression and ocd behavior kind of plays out in a way where you're trying to constantly stop thinking about this one thing that you're obsessing about but when you're already so distracted and consumed by all the stimulus around you it becomes even more distressing the idea of kind of um putting that down and one of the biggest factors behind at least for me personally leading to chronic anxiety was self silencing and even depression for that matter and ever since i kind of was open about it and spoke about that to like the people i'm super close to it changed things immediately it was you know it just immediate like it made it real and then slowly it made it better like i it definitely took away that feeling of being lonely and also people with anxiety you know often edit what they're about to say in their minds or they never really say what they're really thinking because they're anxious that the other person will not like them or approve of them um try to find the perfect moment to bring something up or just simply worry about the impact they're having um so i think there are like a few ways that you can stop self censoring or in a simpler sense just like learning to trust your gut and it's a long sort of evolving process i don't think there's any immediate answers and it's not something you can achieve overnight but at least for me being that much more honest and being able to draw my boundaries and conserving my energy quite simply and choosing it to spend on the things i'm really intentional about whether it's work or people um or even just alone time has changed so much to for me to to the point where now it's like it's really hard for me to do anything that i'm not connected to so it's really hard for me to be like disingenuous to a large degree i was just thinking about the areas of my life where self censorship has really sort of maybe even put me in dangerous situations you know because i didn't stand up or i didn't uh, protest i've realized that a lot of us especially when we're younger tend to find ourselves in say sexual situations where we're afraid to say no or we're afraid to say i don't like that or you know i don't want to do that and so we just comply and a lot of it has i mean of course it comes from a place of fear because you're afraid of being reprimanded you don't know what kind of reaction you're going to get but there's also this other very sort of ambiguous layer you know you can't properly define why you're not allowing yourself to protest or you're not allowing yourself to stand up it goes a little deeper than fear it's almost this um i feel like sometimes maybe we even associate standing up for ourselves with humiliation you know like we're shining the spotlights on all of these issues that we might have and we don't want to be problematic and so we don't we don't say anything and we just go ahead with it and i found this behavior particularly for myself in 
sexual situations, in group situations with friends. I wanted to say no, but I was so afraid of being uncool or being problematic. And even in work situations where I've wanted to say, ask for a raise or say, okay, I won't work these hours. Or There's this constant need to diminish myself. And it, it's kind of glorified in our work culture, isn't it? Being unproblematic and doing the work. You know, people consider it good work ethic to not stand up for yourself. And at the center of it, is this constant need to censor yourself and not understand why you're doing it really. Um, so I guess I wanted to talk a little bit about what works for me in terms of just getting better, drawing, drawing my boundaries um, and learning to trust my gut is, you know, kind of observing the times that I'm forced to say something I don't actually mean or forced, compelled to like do some sort of emotional labor to make the other person feel a certain way. So sort of just observing that, I think, is a pretty big first step. Um, also, obviously, speaking my, your, speaking my mind was something that took time. It wasn't something that kind of happened overnight. So just taking smaller steps every day and bigger risks in that regard, and then it kind of aggregates. False humility, I think that's a big one. Aditi touched upon it earlier as well, which is the imposter syndromes. And I know it's impossible to get rid of. But it's also like, what the hell is wrong with us? You know what I mean? It's like now if someone's congratulating me or something or I'm really excited about a creative work, I'll talk about it in a public setting. I just, I don't even, yeah, I'm just open and honest about it and then gauging on like the other person's level of interest, I can get into it. And most people are interested, frankly. So why the hell not, you know? you know free writing or stream of consciousness or morning pages I think that's a big one it really just helps to like clean the pipes um then just being mindful about what I'm saying self-expression examining my sort of social desirability bias which is what am I saying at what point to fit in better right and of course living in the present because there's so many times I'm just anxious about something that literally isn't happening in the moment, you know, and it may not even happen in the future. It may ha- happen in a very different sense and kind of learning to lose a little bit and learning for learning that my ego is going to take quite a few kicks and that's okay. So just that, I guess, is something that has worked for me to a large degree. For me, I remember sort of the moment um, there was a huge shift in how I saw myself, particularly in a work situation, you know, from feeling like I had to pay my dues and go through the the grind to feeling like a, a useful, integral part of the team who deserves to be paid better, who deserves better hours. And uh, it was basically when I learned that, I, you know, that people who were basically my juniors at work were making more money than me. And um, there was this intense feeling of rage and, you know, injustice. And um, in that moment, I realized that I was actually quite indispensable to the team and so I just mustered up whatever courage I could and I I wrote an email and I stuck to my guns and I think a large part of that was like what allowed me to arrive at that place was um, 
removing certain elements from my life that made me feel small. And I think it's important to examine your life and look at the people in your life and look at the things in your life that make you feel smaller than you are, make you feel stuck and make you feel like you're incapable of moving forward or growing. And aside from all of these personal steps that you can take, I think it's that's one of the most important things is to reevaluate your circle um, because it plays a huge part in what you allow yourself to do and how much you how much faith you have in yourself in, in your ability to change and your ability to grow. Um, so that made a huge difference to me. Therapy definitely made a huge difference to me. I think one of the things that I've started doing now is every time I feel like putting myself down or I feel like not allowing myself to say something or express myself in a certain way, I imagine myself as a child and I imagine telling her not to do certain things and how she would feel. It's a technique that my shrink taught me and it's a fairly simple, <laughs> it's pretty obvious, but it works so well because then you start to look at yourself with a lot of empathy, you know, and you start to look at yourself with a lot, lot of kindness. And I think that's instrumental in just being a better person and making better decisions. Thanks so much, guys. This was great, actually, to talk about. Uh, I wish there were some nice takeaways for you guys. And thanks so much for tuning in. And we will see you in a month's time with our next episode. Keep safe, guys. Don't become complacent. I know things have opened up and it's fun, blah, blah, blah. But carry sanitizer, wear your masks, get jabbed if you haven't. Examine self-censorship in your own lives and how you might change that for yourself. Thanks so much and see you soon. Thank you.